want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, I'm I'm on the road, and I have a toenail falling off, so it's been an interesting day. <laughs> Cheery. Yes, the, uh, the there will be a few uh, tweaks to, to the Televerse over the next few weeks due to some, you know, logistics, but hopefully everything will be very seamless for you guys. You won't notice too much of a difference, but... Uh, but yes, we're it'll be uh, exciting new challenges for us on the production side Woo! of things. We love challenges. They they, they they cause us to rise above. But it's it, it, there should be uh, plenty of great TV in the next few weeks to talk about. Uh, the uh, this week we have the dramatic return of the spotlight. Yeah, how long has it been? I feel like not since early December, maybe. Like I want like I want to say like Treme, maybe. Or something like that. It's I don't been a think while. we ever spotlighted Treme. Oh no, we didn't, did we? Because then, when we would have had the finale, it was you know the end of the year show. So, yep, yeah. the, it's been a while, but the spotlight is back, and I'll, we'll leave it to uh, the listeners to guess if they haven't already read it in the name of the post of what the spotlight's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> we are also joined this week by a friend of the show, Kate Rennebaum. So glad to have her back, and we talk Parades End, which is of course a very famous novel or series of novels, I should say, and it was adapted by the BBC last year. So uh, we have Benedict Cumberbatch and Adelaide Clemens and uh, so many other famous people in that. So that'll be coming at the end of the show. A nice little discussion of that, that mini series. Yes. Uh, it's always a treat to have Miss Rennebaum on the podcast. And I didn't even tease her about Harvard this time. <laughs> of course, there are also a handful of new shows starting this week. So we'll preview those. Um, but there's, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a long show. There's a lot of shows coming back. There's a lot of uh, new shows. So let's dive into our listener feedback. We heard from Carl, who said, uh, Kate and Simon, this was a tough question. To reminder, our listeners, Simon, what was the question of the week? Uh, shows that you, that you would resurrect purely for your own purposes. Yeah, it couldn't be a show that lots of people would want to watch with you. What's the show that... You are the only one who would want to watch. Uh, he says, as Kate said, many of the ones I would love to see brought back, Firefly, Better Off Ted, have a large cult following. So I guess my answer is Battleground, one of the first Hulu Plus originals it seems like they want to pretend never happened. I thought it was a great take on a campaign for state election. I liked the characters, and I thought I had the potential to follow them to a bigger race with higher stakes. But I've never heard anyone utter anything about it, so they probably won't bring it back just for me. I loved Family Tree on HBO, but I and my monkey puppet may have been the only ones to love that one as well. I especially thought the dates Chris Dowd had in the first few episodes were great. I will never lick salt out of someone's clavicle without thinking fondly of the show. I don't even remember that. Was that in the first couple of episodes? Um, you know, it, it may not even be a reference from the show. He may just be going off the deep end. <laughs> Thank you uh, for your email, uh, Carl, and for your continued efforts. Carl is probably our biggest cheerleader and it's so appreciated carl all all the whenever he tweets out about the show or you know sharing it with uh listeners other listeners and friends we really appreciate that and uh keep it up 
Greatly appreciated. Uh, we also heard from Shannon, who says, uh, so happy to hear you reference Profit on the podcast, a dark, brilliant, ahead-of-its-time show. It would be a smash on FX today. And uh, Mario also said, you saw Profit? I thought I was the only one. I'd watch Alias Pushing Daisies, but my viewership of one would be HBO's Tell Me You Love Me. Ooh, good one. And uh, Colin says, the show I would like more of that no one else cares about, Kitchen Confidential, Bradley Cooper, post-alias, pre-Oscar nominee. And, Colin, I was thinking of that one, too, because I enjoy Kitchen Confidential. That was one that I was uh, excited to see pop up on uh, on TV and then immediately disappear. It's uh, really a shame. But uh, one of these days, maybe, somebody will want a DVD shelf. But did you watch any of these? Um, I did not, uh, although another one that I wanted to mention that, uh, maybe we'll get to one day would be Frisky Dingo, mm. which is, uh, the Adam Reed series that happened in between Sequest and Archer and is sort of like a weird bastard hybrid of those approaches and seemingly no one remembers. <laughs> I only know that from, it was the end of what, an Archer episode, right? I was like, I have no idea what their reference and you told me it was Frisky Dingo. So yeah, there, there's... And also, whenever there's a boosh, that's an inherent uh, earlier read show reference. Good to know. Mario also says, I went four seasons with heroes. You don't think they can course correct it? Can the original cast return? Jack Bauer returns to 24. Uh, no, I don't think they can course correct it. Because I don't think they know realize what they need to do to course correct it, or they would have when it was still on the air. What do you think? Well, and... like, I mean, I, again, I didn't watch heroes, so uh, my opinion is, isn't really important, but... Was there a whole lot of a course to correct? Well, I mean, was there like was there like a principal arc that was really compelling that they just lost track of? Yeah, I would say their initial arc of someone's going to explode New York. That's inherently compelling. And then watching regular people deal with discovering, you know, superpowers and all that stuff. But once they took a leap, once they be it became clear they were not willing to kill off anyone after that had sort of been the initial premise. And then they made this uber villain that they decided they liked more than they liked many of the main characters. And they weren't willing to kill that character either. Tried to make you like him after he'd been a serial killer. I mean, like they really did not seem to have a strong grasp on who was interesting or likable or why and what stakes should, should be. They hyped this one huge battle for, I would say like half a season. And then it took place off screen. Literally, like you saw flashes <laughs> of light from underneath the door. And that was the two, you know, biggest, bad and best goody fighting with their amazing superpowers. And, and did at least one of them die? No, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, heroes. Yeah. Yep. So I'm I wouldn't hold my breath, Mario. But, you know, I, I am going to watch when it comes back. I'm going to watch at least one episode. Uh, let's see. Carl also let us know that I enjoyed this series of tweets. First, he sent us a tweet saying that we were elevating the discussion of TV. And then he sent us immediately, like five minutes later, oh, just got to the penis ring discussion. Maybe not. Uh, so uh, that was highly entertaining, Carl. Thank you for, for letting us know. Uh, I talked Rain with Beth. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. We talked Walking Dead with Ken and talked Hannibal with Julius, Alicia, and Ken. So lots of TV talk this week. Before we go to get to our week in TV, though, uh, we did get a new iTunes rating and review. So Woo! from Michael Royce. If there's what? another one, then that's awesome. If it's Mike Rice, Michael Rice, then that's even cooler. Um, but five stars, and apparently we are great. So thank you very much. Uh, if you're listening, I'm very much appreciated. You can be like Michael Royce 
and go to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review for the podcast. It would be greatly appreciated. Um, we have an M4A feed and an MP3 feed. Wherever you would like to, you know, rating or review, you know, let us know what you think. You will be in league with the great comic executive producers of your time. <laughs> we also uh, should mention it's Greatest Pilots Month at Sound and Sight. Uh, Truss's review of the Doctor Who pilots already up, and there's going to be several more over the next several days, the rest of the week, so you can check that out at Sound and Sight as well as currently you are reviewing what at Sound and Sight? Uh, I'm reviewing Justified! <laughs> and I'm reviewing Parenthood and Grimm, and also The Red Road. So there's lots of reviews going up every day, and you can find those all at soundofsight.org. But let's get into our week in TV. So we'll be back right after this to talk the comedies. <laughs> Comedy. I'm going to preview the new FX comedy, St. George. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Comedy Roundup, Parks and Rec, Enlisted, Archer, and New Girl. And then we'll spend a little bit more time with Broad City, Adventure Time, and Girls. But first, St. George is the new comedy from FX, with jo starring George Lopez and co-executive produced by him. It's a family sitcom, sort of, uh, with... George Lopez is the the central figure. He's got an ex-wife and a young uh, young son. He's got a a mother and a cousin and uncle. I I'm not sure if the cousin and uncle live with him or just are around a lot. But uh, he is a entrepreneur who makes a a energy drink and also uh, teaches at what appears to be like a, a night school kind of situation. And uh, so that's the the premise. Here's here's I have a guess for you. This is a family sitcom very centered around the fact that its uh, main characters, with the exception of the ex-wife, are, are all Latinos. Uh, what would you expect is the main characteristic of our character's mother? Uh, I don't know. Is she fiery? Uh, no, no, no. The the sexually harassing boss is very fiery, though. She's spicy. Now the mother's overbearing. Oh yes, of course. Overbearing, and uh, the the uncle is uh, is somewhat uh, shifty, or and uh, and certainly is not going to buy any of his own drinks. Um, they this is a show that is not very funny. It has a lot of very talented people. I was expecting to watch. I was a little trepidatious because they only sent one episode, and whenever they send one instead of more, I'm a little you know less sure about it. But uh, this is one that I expected to at least be able to watch and enjoy George Lopez. I remember liking the George Lopez show when it was originally on. Um, and, I mean, you have Danny Trejo as the uncle. You have David Zayas as the cousin. You have, like, this is a 
you know, this is a ta cast of people that I very much like. Unfortunately, I don't like any of these people. And when you throw in the just horrifically sexually harassing boss, Concepcion, and uh, I don't know what we're supposed to think about that other than, you know, she he could get a restraining order against this person. And the show seems to think it's funny as opposed to predatory and strange. Uh, which is how the main character is acting. I mean, just the tonal imbalance in this show is ridiculous. And most importantly, I wasn't laughing at all. So this show is just not good. Uh, the, the Just the number of of cliches and predictable stereotypes in this pilot is just really unfortunate. And uh, yeah, based on this, just this episode, it was a rough cut. So who knows, maybe they've, you know, been able to polish it up a little bit. But based on what I've watched and uh, the fact that I, I don't have anything else to base it off of, any other episodes where maybe they, you know, maybe they'll get their their uh, sense of the comedy a little bit better in the next couple of episodes. But based on this first episode, uh, run, don't walk away from this one. Sorry. I, I, I didn't expect to like legit and I ended up really enjoying the episodes I watched of the second season. Uh, I was, I, I had more hopes for St. George and uh, no, it's not... Uh, yeah, this is not in the vein with the rest of the FX comedies that we very much enjoy. So, instead, it's it sounds kind of like Anger Management Mark II. Yeah, it's more in that vein. Uh, you don't have the um, the sexism of of an Anger Management, but it's so lacking in specificity that I don't have any sense of these characters at all, and uh, they're just not interesting. So, say I would skip Saint George. Let's go move on, though, to the comedies that are aired this week, and uh, we're just going to do a, quick, a couple minutes here on, on the rest of these comedies before we dive more specifically into a couple of them. Parks and Rec, I just needed to mention because uh, I was so close to using That's How You Know from Enchanted as her music leading into this segment just because of uh, Ben's delightful enchanted inspired date day for leslie that of course is thwarted uh there, there i had a lot of fun with this episode and um just the the notion of ron typing out complaints like yelp reviews but on a typewriter and then mailing them to people uh with his return address so that they can come confront him and he can hit them was uh pretty delightful uh, particularly uh, the the makers of carbonated water being in Canada also if you get a chance to catch up with this one he has to he has a complaint for Canada zero stars to Canada sorry Simon I'm shaking my head in shame <laughs> enlisted was fun this week I was not excited that they seem to be reviving the uh long-term will they won't they with our leads the the episodes being aired out of order was a little uh I was a little confused for a moment in this episode because of course the bartender we've already seen her be dating the middle brother a couple episodes ago, but now this episode we see them first start to go out. So that was a little confusing until I figured out that it's just the episodes were out of order, but I did enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed it much more than Archer this week, Archer Vice, which I might have laughed once. So uh, that's unfortunate. The nod to the deep web was fun and there's some fun things in there. Uh, everything with Kenny Loggins though, just felt, it just felt too much like Burt Reynolds Mark II. Um, until we got to the suitcase, I enjoyed the plutonium or human soul uh, element there. But uh, in general, not as, as strong an, an outing for Archer Vice. But you did watch uh, New Girl. So what did you think of Cardellini? Uh, well, it's not so much what I think of Cardellini as what I think of the show overall, which is I'm not sure I ever need to see New Girl again. I've just decided it's 
it had i feel like it plateaued maybe half a season ago or slightly more than that and ever since then it's been slowly sliding into mediocrity and now it's just plateaued down there in it's just mediocre state for a long time where there's a couple of decent gags per episode and a lot of character stuff that i just really don't care about and yeah cartellini didn't didn't help with that it's nice to see her in a sitcom again and you know she she fits in with the ensemble really well but yeah i i feel like there's no new information coming out of new girl so you're breaking up with it i i, I think so I, I i it was it was already tenuous but i'm gonna just make it official make now. it official okay i mean i liked it i still enjoy her on the show and uh i had i had a lot more fun with uh new girl than i did some of the other comedies this week so I uh, well, I see where you're coming from, though, but uh, I'm going to stick with it for now. Let's move on to Broad City Stolen Phone. And uh, I'm, I'm more and more glad that I'm spending time with this show, even if it is maybe not as laugh out loud as I wish it were. Broad City is maybe the weirdest comedy on right now, just because especially this episode might have been the most schizophrenic in terms of quality. Like there were there were a handful of gags this this week where I was cringing at how to sort of like they were really going for it and it was really not a good idea but then other other elements just worked really really well sometimes in the same scene and like even even elements like the the annoying tourist who steals her phone like some of her scenes are really funny and some of them are just this is just going and going and going uh so yeah that it they're really wor- they're still working out the kinks but i do like the way the show is building up its new york which is quite specific to itself which is very impressive just right there yeah i i i gotta give it to them for the improv because it was oh that was that was the best part the improv and then the and then the um and then the recap with that during the yeah uh, second second attempt oh wow that was that was fantastic yeah definitely (laughs) definitely uh let's uh, move on to adventure time bad timing i did check this one out and i thought it was fun but uh, not as engaging maybe some of the other episodes i enjoyed watching the exterior of the frame yes it was good for two, for at least two viewings yeah which is because yeah for anyone who hasn't seen it or doesn't know what we're talking about it was a time travel episode and i don't want to explain why because you should watch the episode to know why but the entire episode takes place inside a circular frame while other stuff happens outside the frame. And it's kind of, it's actually impossible to focus on both at the same time. You kind of have to flip back and forth and you're wondering why you're doing it. And anyway, I thought that whole element was really cool. And I just love Lumpy's Space Princess and her use of language. Uh, in, in in particular, her habit of calling people tranches, which is not the first time that's happened. The uh, I like the, the conversation at the beginning where Jake was uh, talking about uh, how Ice, uh, Ice King did it better. <laughs> yes so that was pretty great but um yeah no it was fun I, I it just reminds me that i do need to check in with it and next week is their two-part episode or their half-hour episode so that should be fun is it yeah that would be good oh man that's gonna be epic <laughs> well i'm sure we'll talk about that next week let's move on though to our last comedy of the week we're gonna skip looking this week because next week is the finale and this does feel like especially with the pop-up there are elements that are two-partery so we'll check in with looking next week um but let's end up end the comedies with girls and flow uh, which i gotta say i think might be a, a top five episode for them it was really 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 good uh great to see june squib mm-hmm. from nebraska 
who is so so great there and so good here and obviously what's going to be a one-off appearance uh just the way they handled the tone of the episode was perfect the, the all the aunt and mom banter i love the way it was just this side of sitcommy with just the right amount of yeah i've heard this conversation happen in real life before not necessarily with that exact configuration of relatives but it was it they have a really dunham and co have a really great grasp of sort of the things that are familiar to us that do ring true and the things that don't and steering just just to the correct side of those things i like this episode um i i agree actually with what you're saying there uh but i didn't uh i didn't love it uh because i kept i guess it was very similar to me to the the beach house episode but where you have these characters that are both wonderfully supportive and very hurtful of each other due to stress they're under and that doesn't really necessarily change the dynamic of the relationship it's this examination of how it can be both things at once and uh and so i was seeing a connection there i did think that it was handled very honestly and and realistically but i wasn't actually enjoying watching most of the time I was like oh look there's really awkward cousin relationship I can't say friendship relationship but why are they spending why am I watching this scene you know well I I liked the element of like seeing the more we see of her family the more her character makes sense like That's we true. we see that, that we see the elements that do reverberate with other people and the things that are so different like the way her cousin is is so work oriented and just does not doesn't abide the fact that so other people in her family just don't or other people of her generation i guess just don't seem to have her work ethic and it just drives her insane but also makes her slightly insane um that element i thought was really fascinating to watch the episode it it, it made me think of was the season one episode uh where we first meet Donna's parents uh, sorry hannah's parents mostly because uh, of course none of the other girls are in it much like this episode and um and it seemed to have kind of a similar dynamic, although it was less sort of overtly comedic. Uh, I I also feel like they're going, by the way, Mitch, call me crazy, but it feels like they're just going to have Adam and Hannah get married soon. Yeah. I just feel like that's where they're going with it. Yeah, that could happen. I wouldn't be uh, hugely surprised. And that could be interesting. Certainly, I, you know, a Hannah Horvath wedding is certainly something that, you know, there's there's plenty of interest there if they want to go that route with it. The the thing I kept coming back to with this episode was the sister relationship with Hannah's mom and her aunts and I liked the way that you know there was some strife there but you know and they were having conversations about really important stuff and you know clearly there's longer term issues with the sisters and that feels very very truthful but in a few scenes there the the attempts to make the family conflicts be equally shared, which is, I think, a good a good one, seem to not necessarily fit with who we've gotten to know uh, as Hannah's mom, how, how Hannah's mom behaves and what her priorities are, etc. Like, I don't know that I buy Hannah's mom not spending time with her sisters or not prioritizing family in that way, given how she seems to drop everything to go spend time with her daughter in New York when she lives in Michigan, you know, like she, they, she comes out a lot uh, considering how far, you know, away she lives and everything. So I don't know that I really buy this notion of she hasn't been around at all. She hasn't been checking in 
And so when the show, this episode needs that conflict to be not just the one sister's fault or another sister's fault, but all of their faults together, which is a very honest and laudable thing. It's, I feel like they're asking me to buy a different Lorene Horvath for those couple of scenes. I don't think it's necessarily a contradiction. You could infer, I mean, I didn't even think about it this deeply, but you could say that maybe she gravitates towards her immediate family, you know, her family that she's immediately responsible for slash Hannah in order to avoid dealing with her siblings or other parts of the family, which is a thing that I'm sure a lot of people do. I suppose. I suppose I hadn't thought about that. Um, But in general, I do think it was a good episode. I just didn't, like I said, it wasn't actively enjoying myself um i did like the stuff we got with adam very much i liked the conversation with hannah and her mom very much it also kind of explains somewhat uh hannah's choice of adam because i felt like mm-hmm. the mom was saying i married a weird an odd one too and it's stressful i thought, so I thought that was interesting even though if we haven't necessarily seen that side of uh of hannah's dad yet um and then i also i mean that that last moment was so effective for me Mm-hmm. I should have seen it coming. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> and this has all been delightfully foreshadowed, I think, by the whole th- the whole thing with her editor a few episodes ago. Yeah. Which is like, there it is. There's the reality. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I can't believe I didn't recognize June Swib. As soon as you said her name, I was like, oh, of course. Of course that's who it was. Uh, but, but no, that was nice casting as well. So are, do you expect to see more of Hannah's aunts and cousin in the future? At some point, but I doubt it'll happen this season. We only have a handful of episodes left, so we'll see what happens uh, to, you know, how what level of of connectivity there is in the next few episodes. I, I kind of feel like Girls is as, like, the closest that the kind of sitcoms that, or comedies, I should say, not sitcoms, the comedies that we watch are these half-hour dramas sort of come to being a, a procedural. Because there's not really a series you know a long arc there's you know there's certain things that happen in the characters lives that maintain but it's not like we pick up every week and we see the next chapter of of a particular character's you know life well not so much a procedural as just straight up standalone standalone Um, yes yeah which or really you you, I, i hate to bring up the l word but you could say it's a louis influence where you know, you you do have that's a ninety percent standalone thing with ten percent carryover, and and I think the important part is random carryover of oh yeah. we didn't know this was coming back, this we're going to look at for three or four episodes at a time. That freedom of of movement, I yeah. think, feels very feels very Louis like. Although they you know they premiered around the same time, so it's hard to claim influence. Yeah, but it's certainly it's certainly something to that I was th- I've been thinking about this week, looking at the different comedies. And speaking of the different comedies, what wins your week in comedy? Oh, it's got to be girls. It's harder for me, um, cause I just because I wasn't as bowled over by girls as you were. Uh, I guess this week I'll give it to uh, I'll make it a, a tie between Parks and Rec and Broad City. Ooh, that's so. Uh, it's uh, the Amy Poehler uh, double team. She's a producer on Broad City. Oh, I see. I didn't know that, so I was very confused. Yeah. So yeah, but, there you go. Those are the <laughs> ones that I probably laughed the most with this week so that that's who gets the award this week let's uh take a break and come back with our week in genre and reality
This week in genre and reality, I'm going to preview a few shows. Uh, Cosmos, the Space Time Odyssey, which is starting up on Sunday. Resurrection, which is starting up on Sunday as well. And Believe, which is starting up on NBC on Monday. And then I'll also give a few thoughts on The Amazing Race. And then I caught up with Rain and Arrow and The Walking Dead. You're going to talk to us about Vikings and we'll both dive in with Hannibal. Has everybody got that? Yes. Okay, so first up is Cosmos the Space Time Odyssey, which is beginning this uh, Sunday on Fox. I've seen the first episode, and uh, uh, at first, I, I am not overly familiar with the original, other than what I've seen, I've really enjoyed, and as being a huge nerd uh, and geek, I am very happy that Cosmos is back on TV. I would not have expected it from Fox, so well done, team. It looks gorgeous and uh they like i honestly it sounds gorgeous there's a beautiful lush orchestral score and there's very very pretty cgi throughout so i don't know how much budget they spent on this but a lot it's a lot more than you might expect um the beginning of it if you're gonna tune in on sunday stick with it through the opening like 10 minutes because i kept waiting for that to get into anything i didn't already know they start by introducing the planets of the solar system it's like Come on. Yeah, we, we, we got it. But then it goes, you know, it starts a little bit more straightforward and gets more complicated from there. I think it's uh, very well put together. And I I mean, I enjoy Neil deGrasse Tyson, so I'm already, you know, a sucker for this stuff to start with. But I'm glad that it is something that is now on our TV every Sunday for the for the next few weeks, at least. Is it my imagination or is Seth MacFarlane involved in some way? He is. He's a, he's one of the producers. He's, uh, I think, as I recall, he was instrumental in getting the ball rolling on it. So uh, way to go, Seth MacFarlane. The other entry in reality for this week is The Amazing Race, Baby Bear's Soup. So I'll just, you haven't had a chance to catch up with The Amazing Race yet, what with all of the travel and such. So um, to keep it quick, I am bummed that Mark is out of the race, but I'm not hugely surprised he and and Mallory didn't uh, gel particularly well, it seemed, right away. And uh, so I can't say I'm hugely surprised. Also, given the construction of this leg, everybody was able to catch up very quickly. They, you, I know you haven't had a chance to see this one yet. There were seven teams on the mat at the same time. Wow. That's, yeah. That's it was lot. like a one, two, three, four, and then five, and then six, seven. Like, while they were doing the one, the other ones came up. And that's never happened on the race before. So, uh, clearly, it was a very equalizing kind of episode. We'll see what happens with them moving forward. I really hope that Mark and Bopper, you know, that, that Bopper is able to, you know, not have a pancreas about to explode so that he can do the race next time. I would, I would like to see the two of them racing together the next time they have All-Stars, if that is possible. Uh, fingers crossed. But uh, it's too bad that that team sort of imploded. But, uh, but yep, the Cowboys, who are my pick, seem to be doing well. So, fingers crossed that they make it back up to the, the top next week. That wraps up our week in reality. So, I guess uh, Amazing Race wins my week in reality. Uh, moving on to genre, we have Resurrection, which is starting up on ABC. The pilot is called The Returned. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I've also seen the second episode uh, on Earth, and I I I really enjoyed this. Now, there's some elements to it that are very, of course they cast this person, or of course the doctor is very young and very attractive, and you know there's some there's some um, American TV 
shifts in this. But I do think, you know, the, the central cast, if in those part, is really strong. The, I'm very interested in some of the shifts, some of the, the differences there are between this and The Returned. And um, having the, you know, the, the kid who's not nearly as creepy as Victor um, show up in China as opposed to, you know, wander home is, is a very a very distinct change. So I think that's interesting. And I think Omar Epps does a good job in the central role. I like that there is a role like that of somebody trying to figure out what's going on. That is, you know, helpful, at least for me, I, Kurtwood Smith and, uh, and Francis Fisher are really strong as the, and really compelling as the central sort of couple trying to figure out their son who, you know, died 30 years ago is a back and is, still 10 or whatever it is uh yeah like i think the the shifts that they've made have been interesting and i look forward to watching more of it so i look forward to hearing what you think about it but i would say people should check it out it's different enough that it you know it's not going for the same tone as the returned or les revenants Um, so i think it's different enough that it won't feel like it's a ripoff Um, but i look forward to what other people think so i would say check it out um, and uh, then the other one is Believe, which is the, the pilot directed by Alfonso Cuaron, and I want to say co-executive produced by him, but I could be wrong on that. It's on NBC, and it starts on Monday. I've only seen the pilot for this one, and I was underwhelmed, uh, definitely underwhelmed. Uh, and just some of the, the choices in it. I like the cast, but some of the choices, uh, plotting-wise, are uh, predictable, shall we say, and just feel very, guess what? Of course. You know, kind of a... Uh, predictable, but also just very cliche and uh, in a TV kind of way. I was hoping for a lot more. I've been a big fan of Alfonso Cuaron for years, ever since I saw um, Children of Men and Harry Potter before that, Harry Potter 3, I should say, Prison of Azkaban. Um, And so I was, maybe I had too high of hopes, but I'm not really interested in another magical child. Is this touch again? Is no, that what's happening? This is not touch because I'm not offended to the core of my being by magical autism. <laughs> no. And the person okay. who wants me to feel bad for him because he had a year to save photos of his dead daughter to something other than his cell phone and he didn't. And then he lost his phone and I'm supposed to feel bad about that. No, this is not touch. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's also it's not distinct enough for me. The the action in it is good. There's some a few good shot shots that look interesting. You know, Alfonso Cuaron is a fantastic director so of course you know it's gonna look good but uh but no there's too many familiar beats as far as i'm concerned and do you think do you think the gruff uh ex-con who's escaped from prison and the young child who's put in his care do you think she's gonna make him uh less less gruff and soften those edges suppose that's gonna happen i don't know she's it she is adorable you know uh... maybe maybe they're gonna learn from each other maybe just maybe those crazy kids will make it yeah, but I know other people are more excited about this one than I am, so let me know what you think. Uh, moving on, I did catch up with the previous two episodes of Rain on Listener Suggestion, and it is much better than when I watched it in the fall. I was sort of mixed on it in the fall, but just not interested enough to tune back in. I feel like they have identified some of their strengths and weaknesses and addressed that, but when I'm getting tired of their exposition 10 minutes in and I haven't seen it, for eight episodes, nine episodes, meaning there's a lot I should need catching up on. That's that's not a good sign. So I felt like every other line of dialogue was them saying, in case you hadn't remembered, audience, because everybody in the scene already knows this information, but we're going to restate it. Um, that being said, there are, you know, I, I enjoyed 
some of the cast. As the listener had said, I did enjoy uh, the uh, Megan Fellows uh, you know, performance in her getting to cackle and all of that. But it's too CW and not interesting enough for me. Just the, the dramatics of the uh, interpersonal dynamics were not compelling. And uh, yeah, better than it was, but not interesting enough for me to tune back in. As for Arrow, I watched the Barry Allen two-parter and I watched the most recent episode. And uh, it's... Again, it's better than when I last watched it, but still not interesting enough for for me to tune in. So uh, I guess I and, and I, after watching this one, I'm more likely to watch the Flash pilot. Well, I guess I'm going to watch it for the podcast, but I'm more interested to be excited for the Flash pilot than I was. Um, but yeah, I still, you know, I'm not hugely interested in in these characters so it feels too familiar and it feels too cookie cutter superhero for me um but the fight scenes are good like y'all have been saying and uh the the characters are more likable than i remember and more charismatic than i remember so uh, i i guess i see more of what you're saying even if i'm not ready to jump on board what is your chance of checking out all of the above Oh, insanely low. Uh, however, I did decide to check out the season two premiere of Vikings, which if you've never watched Vikings before, you will have absolutely no trouble figuring out what happened in the previous season of Vikings, even without the uh, re- the very extensive recap at the beginning of this episode. Um, the, the, the plot of Vikings does not appear to be complicated at all. Anyway, um, I really wanted to like Vikings uh, a lot because I think we need more good period shows, period. But uh, this doesn't strike me as being particularly good. It looks great. It sounds good. The The intro and theme are, are fantastic um, in particular. Uh, the cast is good, uh, particularly like uh, the lead who I've never seen before in his fantastic haircut. But um, the writing is really not very good. I, I feel like they... Uh, one of the keys to doing a show like this is to, is uh, you know like a Spartacus or a Deadwood or any or even Rome uh, any particularly uh, successful period show like this. I feel like that you need to have some kind of patter to go with that. You need something to say this is not our time. This is a different time, and these characters talk like like they're just average Joes living today, pretty much, with the occasional Odin reference, uh, and you know, and obviously they they incorporate you know, folkways of the time, etc. But they just, like, they, like, one character says to another, did you have sex with her? It's weird to hear <laughs> Vikings. Like, you're just laughing, right? Like, did you have sex with that woman? And these are Vikings. It's just that I can't get used to that. It's, I'm sorry, people. I just, I can't get over that hump. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's just wrong. And, and may, maybe it would even, like, I, it's sort of like the opposite of what I feel about Justified, where because they can't swear on Justified, it, it works for them. They have to be more creative with language. It feels wrong that the Vikings can't swear. The Viking, yeah, the notions of the notion of Vikings be, and especially the, the bits of the, of the show that I that I have seen because my dad loves the show. Uh, they, I, they have some really impressive fight sequences when they're you know all killing each other. The notion that they can be uh, appropriately violent for Vikings, but can't swear. Oh, it's so violent. There is a there is an extremely violent clash where, you know, someone gets impaled and then thrown around. It's and, you know, characters are just covered in blood for 15 minutes at a time. It's very violent. And yet there's no nudity or or or, uh, or swearing. It's it's like huge cognitive dissonance. Thank you, American television. 
but uh yeah it it's just, i can't get over that that hump of the dialogue which is really too bad because like i said other aspects of the and actually i'm calling it american tv it's actually a, a canadian finnish co-production so if anything uh it's i guess i should really just blame the history channel but <laughs> um yeah because i'm not going to blame finland who wants to blame finland or canada um <laughs> Yeah, it just it doesn't work for me on that basic level, and and like I said, the like I don't think the the simplicity of the plot is necessarily a problem, but it just feels like there should be a little bit more going on. It it moves at a decent pace, but it just feels a little bit too simplistic. I I did and I did like the one scene of Ragnar, uh, sort of trying to invoke the spirit of his child. That was nice. That was the only thing that felt like okay. Now I'm finally watching a moment sort of out of time because I wasn't thinking about the dialogue. So yeah, a little bit disappointing considering how much of a following it has. Can I also take a moment uh, and say Ragnar is an awesome name? It should come back. And I think it probably is. Thanks to Vikings. <laughs> um, let's see. I also will mention The Walking Dead. Uh, still, of course, the Sound of Say Walking Dead podcast is up. And uh, that should already be in your Televerse feed if you subscribe on iTunes. Or you can find it at Sound on Sight. Or you can find it in the separate Sound on Sight TV podcast feed, which has uh, episodes of podcasts devoted to uh, True Detective and Bates Motel and uh, Walking Dead. And now Hannibal. This week, it was myself and my co-host, Ricky D, of course, the, the editor-in-chief of Sound on Sight, and we were joined by Sean Coletti. Uh, I liked the episode less, actually, than the two of them. They both thought it was a top five of the series episode. Uh, so big fans of still uh, the two of them. I was more mixed on the episode. If you want more thoughts, you can listen to that podcast. But Sean is all, is my co-host of the new Sound on Sight Hannibal podcast, and that episode should also be up in your Televerse feed. Fingers crossed, if nothing went wrong. Uh, and so we t I had a chance to talk about the premiere, or uh, the season two premiere, Kaiseki, and we talked with Ricky about that as well. Um, and I loved it so much. I loved this premiere. Uh, yes, I've been just geeking out about Hannibal all week. Tell me you liked it too, Simon. I liked it. I wasn't as blown away by it as you were, but I liked it. I feel like the okay i think it's partially my fault because i was spoiled on the fight scene by all of their promos which <laughs> even if i'm sure you must have somehow seen at least a little bit of that i know you avoid promos but uh yeah so it would have been nice to have been totally uh virgin white on that um it just okay felt... how did it not explode your brain that it actually happened though and i'm not gonna talk too much about this because there's a whole podcast of me talking about it but i knew there was a fight scene i just assumed it was going to be a dream sequence didn't it feel like a dream sequence? Uh, well, I mean, the 12 weeks later thing kind well, of yeah, makes at it the less end. impressive. Well, yeah, but still. Did uh, you know about that going in? Did you know it was real while it was happening? I got the sense it was probably a flash forward. Um, I can't believe but... I'm the only one who didn't. Everybody else I've talked to was like, yeah, obviously it was a flash forward. No, the, the, dr fight scene dream sequence isn't really in Hannibal character. It's 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 not really the sort of thing they go for with their hallucinations. Uh, I will say that whenever we did have Will going into his mind palace, another mind palace, um, and sort of or sort of having any kind of vision or going into his memories, uh, it was complete gobbledygook, but it was great to look at and you know fascinating and wonderful in the usual Hannibal ways. They're absolutely stepping that up, even which is impressive. There were maybe two or three or four too many scenes of people sitting portentous portentously talking at each other slowly, explaining their conflict at each other like this and you're shaking your head at me and you're and you think I'm totally off base but 
I just feel like the episode needed a little bit more actual plot rather than just sort of catching us up on, yeah, this is where all these characters are at. Like, I, I appreciate that it's a new season and it's on NBC and they've got to get it. And they, and they like to luxuriate in those moments, which is also good. It's invalid. But I would have liked a little bit more movement, uh, despite the fact that, you know, as usual, it was visually and orally stunning, et cetera, et cetera, all the usual Hannibal things. But I, I, I just need, I, I just want Hannibal to even just step it up a little further. And they could, and honestly, they could still use a little more humor, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, I w- I'm not going to disagree with that. And they could give Carolyn Avernus more to do, definitely. But, uh, I mean, I just still can't get over that fight sequence. It was so good. <laughs> it was really good. But it like I said, so I, it, it, I I was spoiled on it. So yeah, Okay, that... but, the, but you weren't spoiled on how awesome it was going to be. It was so intense. I was just watching that. And I talked about this a lot on, on the Hannibal podcast. I was just watching that and just like at the edge of my seat, almost cackling with glee because it was so fucking badass. <laughs> it was pretty great, but it was, you know, two minutes of a 45 minute episode. Well, and also, you know, the, the all the standard Hannibal stuff. But when you say gobbledygook about the Mind Palace, uh, would you what do you what do you mean specifically? Well, I just mean the stuff about having to, you know, Will reclaiming lost memories or trying to sort like Maybe it's because I've been reading up on the history of Scientology lately, but um, I've been reading a lot of uh, sort of debunked theories about how memory works and um, et cetera, et cetera, and people being afraid of psychologists, et cetera. And it just, it, a lot of this just felt like this doesn't feel like anything like this has ever happened. And I can't think about that because I know that Hannibal's not a show about realism, but every once in a while when, when a, a character as serious and knowledgeable as, as, as Will is talking about how he thinks his brain works, I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but anyway, I have to not, it's weird because part of me wants to have to turn my brain off while watching Hannibal whereas other parts of it are so inherently stimulating in every other sense. So I, I'm I'm still on some level, even though I know it's a great show, I do still struggle with that from time to time. And I did this week. Well, yeah, and I never feel like I need to turn my brain off with Hannibal. Uh, I feel like I need to engage it more. And uh, so that maybe that's the difference in how we're responding to, to this premiere. I need to turn off my regular brain and turn on my lizard brain is what I need to do. <laughs> well, either way, uh, I'm glad you liked it, even if you were wrong for not liking it more. But uh, what wins your week in genre? Uh, well, obviously, I'm still going to give it to Hannibal. <laughs> and I'm definitely giving it to Hannibal because I loved it so much. Uh, but you can listen to me go on about that with Ricky and Sean on the Hannibal podcast. For now, we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. in drama we have those who kill justified parenthood and true detective uh those who kill i just wanted to mention it because i I wasn't able to get a a full review of the pilot last week i thought it was 
fine and uh, not one I'm interested in checking out more of just because it feels like another serial killer or crime drama kind of show where I don't care about the characters and I don't necessarily know that the show does or that the show has a inherent respect for for suffering and pain and violence. It feels very familiar the the notion of you have to as the protagonist you know somebody who's experienced a lot of trauma as a child this notion of you have to be scarier than the monsters and so we have sort of an anti-hero kind of protagonist uh i'm not really interested in that the fact that it's chloe sevigny doesn't hurt but uh the the really stylish opening is not continued that 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 style for me at least wasn't uh consistent through the pilot so i wasn't as engaged visually and by the time you have uh the the serial killer kind of you know terrorizing uh these women and everything there was too much it wasn't the following by any stretch of the imagination but there was too much um i guess luxuriating in that from for my taste um, so I'm not particularly interested in those who kill, and I probably won't be tuning back in. Let's move on to Justified Raw Deal. Ah, Justify. You don't need. I I did it earlier, but I'm not going to do a Justify this week because didn't earn it this week. Uh, it was probably my least favorite episode of the season, which is uh, doubly depressing because it's coming out off what was easily their two best episodes. I just really felt like the, okay, there was a few problems. I felt like they bungled the Johnny Boyd thing this week in a bad way. I thought I, I liked it. I thought it worked. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, their actual scene in the middle where they talk about their past was great. Whenever they do a scene like that, it's it, it's fine. But the double cross at the end, or triple cross, if you want to call it, was not effective. I don't think because we just know they're not going to kill Boyd. We know it's not going to happen. And the fact that he just plays possum for the entire episode and doesn't even get get any good banter off while it's happening. Seems like kind of a wasted opportunity. Well, we know they're not going to kill Boyd, but we never think they're going to kill Boyd in this episode. We think they're going to take him back to the United States and kill him. And somewhere between where they are and the United States, he's going to escape. Yeah, so, so I didn't really have any any problem with that. I didn't. I didn't even think. No, I, the the episode never sold me on that 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 was even going to happen. I just knew like Boyd knows what's happening and he's in control here. Okay, fair enough. I can see that. Uh, what about the other uh, elements to the episode? I never, ever want to see Justified do cybercrime ever again. I do not like that idea. Maybe it's just me, but I, I it's, and I, again, it, maybe it's a Vikings thing, but the Justified equivalent of me not wanting to hear, did you have sex with that woman on Vikings is anything to do with Wi-Fi. No, I just don't want to hear it on Justified. Is that just me? Apparently. Uh, I mean, it's not what they do best, necessarily, but uh, I enjoyed the that character, and I enjoyed watching him toy with Raylan. That's always See, fun for me. We we got, like, one tiny beat of him uh, of him toying with Raylan, and it did lead to that great comment about, oh, yeah, we're 20 years away from co- post-commenting technology. That was great. But then we didn't. We should have had way more of that guy toying with Raylan to make that story work. Every time we get to watch the uh, the tech guy just be unimpressed by the marshals, I enjoyed the hell out of that. Uh, the you know Tim's attempts at banter just falling on deaf ears were were a lot of fun as far as I was concerned. And I don't know. I I didn't have as much. Uh, I didn't really have an issue with that part of it at all. And um, yeah, I liked this episode. Yes, it, obviously it wasn't last week but uh or the the previous episode i should say i like seeing rachel in more of a command position i felt like this was the show maybe setting her up to replace art mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, which they may very well do by the end of the season, um, given anyway. But yeah, we're um, not commenting. on. Yeah, that. we're not going there. We're not commenting on things we wish hadn't happened on Twitter. Yeah. But I, I mean, I will say that we get to the beat of real and just saying, like, transfer me, whatever. I'm just going to go. Like, I, I feel like that could have happened a week ago somehow. And I would have been fine with that because the main plot of the episode with the hacker dude didn't connect to the themes of the season in any meaningful way, except to say, I don't like handling walk-ins. Which, again, they could have handled in two minutes. Okay. Well, let's move on to Parenthood Just Like Home. Uh, my review for this one is up at Sound of Sight. Your review for Justify is up at Sound of Sight. I loved this episode so Why? very, very much. Why? Because... What was there to love? What, was, what wasn't... Well, there, there, there are a few things, I guess, not to love. But, <laughs> but because it so beautifully captures those sibling relationships on the show, not just the Bravermans, but the Holtz and the Grams as well. So watching Sydney and Victor interact, watching the, the, the different ways that the two of them deal with their first weekend with their father after the separation was really interesting in watching how they support each other, watching Victor be very aware of Sydney while Sydney's not yet able to be aware of him was interesting. And uh, that I appreciated that dynamic. Then watching Drew uh, deal with, Amy and in such, yeah, I, I feel like television is in love with the he's a good guy character who actually most of the time isn't that good mm-hmm. a guy. They like to say, but I'm the good guy and I don't get the chicks and the chick always goes for the, the bastard and then the guy, the good guy, air quotes, has to go make her feel guilty about not wanting to be with him instead of actually being a good guy. And so it's so refreshing for me to see Drew sit Amy down and have this beautiful conversation with her, this very honest, very supportive, but necessary conversation and to not bungle it i feel like most shows would have him screw it up and she would leave off in a huff and then we'd have to be worried if she was gonna self-harm or something i I really appreciate the way they handled that and the fact that that was instigated by his conversation with amber and then we had that wonderful everything with with julia and her siblings the show the show never does anything with its siblings you know we very rarely have seen the two of them (laughs) it's always what they're always doing the siblings no they're never doing this okay adam and crosby i'll give it to you but only because they work together we see julia and sarah talk like by them just the two of them about how what there's going on in their lives maybe once this season and maybe once with julia and adam and that's it Mm, i'm not sure about that but the whole sibling pile on at the end was just too much man it was it was saccharin and fructose and whatever else you want to shove down my throat all at once. It was just, it was overdone, man. It nope. was, it was like about a boy cadence had turned up for some reason. It was, it was wonderful. And it was so, I mean, I have I, I, having had that experience of, you don't realize maybe even how messed up you are or how, how bad of a day you've had. And you talk to your sibling i mean i have i have three siblings two brothers and a sister and you talk and they 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 figure out that something's wrong before you do and it's just it's a beautiful and wonderful thing and i for me this episode captured that in a big big way all right well i mean maybe that's a just a personal issue i've only got one sibling and we don't have that kind of dynamic (laughs) (laughs) it felt very familiar to me and um and it was just it was you know all the feels, all uh, the all the feels. I know don't you... do that. Don't. <laughs> uh. No, it made me want to go give my sister a big hug. So I did, and it was wonderful. 
Fair enough. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, to True Detective uh, after you're gone, after you've gone, that is. And uh, this is our penultimate episode. What do you think? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm definitely firmly uh, decided that the best thing about True Detective is uh, the conversations that happen in between episodes of True Detective, and certainly, and I feel like even those are kind of over now because what are they really going to do in this last episode unless they solve uh, the case? Yeah, they, they, they. I mean, uh, or they could not solve it. I mean, they, which but, would be see, but they've already would, solved it, though. That's the thing. It would be great if they found a way to to, to bungle it. Like if if they show if they just show the viewers the answer, but don't show it to the detectives. <laughs> That would be great, but I don't feel like they're going to do that. Um, I mean, yeah, it feels like we're getting the explanations pretty much already, and that's pretty much it. And it's like right down to the classic tertiary or less than tertiary character we spent five seconds with turns out to be the guy, or if not the guy, at least a very important guy. It's like, yeah, they have not reinvented the wheel here, have they? Nope. This, this episode feels of the most typical I would say obviously the relationship between the characters is still interesting and uh but you know there's still some 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 nice flourishes visually but I mean it seems very strange for the show for 6 weeks to be a show that's told through flashback and interview and then apparently for the last 2 weeks nope just straightforward you know police uh crime story uh, for, you know, in this case, a PI story, and uh, you know, what, the reason they felt the need to show the flashbacks of the different characters, you know, when they're saying what they've been doing, they felt the need to show that. I I didn't really understand that either. Um, and so yeah, I'm just you know, I'm not surprised. That, I'm not compelled. I would say that those flashbacks were probably the most effective part of the episode for me because the, the idea that Marty and Rust, had, despite being so different, had kind of just done the same thing. You know, they just sort of they when they when you take that purpose away from them, they're just kind of these inert beings that don't really move around uh, that I, I I thought worked. Um, what I don't so much buy is and I really feel like they're straining for thing to, for things to give Michelle Monaghan to do at this point in this in the seasons. Like, why does she care what's going on with these people? It's been, you know, X, it's been over a decade you know, Marty was an asshole. She, I don't really buy that she wouldn't have gotten remarried. Like, it seems like all these characters are just like, no, we're just done with this now. We don't, we don't deal with the opposite sex now. It, I can see it being true for, for Rust and to some degree Marty, but not so much Maggie. I feel like she probably would have moved on and gotten a better husband. Well, how do we know that she didn't? Well, if she certainly hasn't made any mention of it, and he certainly doesn't seem to be a part of that universe. So if she does, this, the show doesn't care. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, any uh, predictions, hopes, fears for the finale? Um, I just hope to be wrong. Mostly, I just hope to be wrong. Yeah, I, I can't really see a way that this finale is going to be particularly interesting. So I, I'm hoping to be surprised. And it's very, very possible that that will happen. But uh, right now, it feels very typical, I guess. I, I feel like the only thing that they can really do is they can hot fuzz it. Like, they can just, they can just <laughs> decide to just go totally wackadoo at the end and, and change genres on us. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. What wins your week in drama? I'll I'll still give it to Justified because even mediocre Justified is still better than most things. I like Justified, but I I have to give it to Parenthood. 
I have to give it to Parenthood for the dance party and for the bonfire and for all the little, you know, the, for, for making me extra happy to be a sibling this week. All so right. thank you, Parenthood. Duh. Yes, all the duh. Uh, now we'll uh, take a break and come back with our spotlight on the Americans premiere, oh, comrades. Oh, snap. Somebody somewhere. week the spotlight is back and we're using it on the american season to premiere comrades uh this episode was awesome it was a really great premiere and what i said originally uh, and i text i texted this to you or i messaged this to you after i watched it was that it felt to me like they managed with this premiere to change nothing and change everything did that hold true for you uh, kind of. I mean, I, I don't think it's so much about change as just intensity. Just, you know, like the, the the dynamics are more or less the same. There's just a lot more going on all of a sudden. The one criticism I have of the episode, which I'm going to get out of the way, is that it feels like they must have gotten a big budget bump or something in between seasons because all of a sudden it feels like there's not just twice as many characters milling around, but just twice as many people. Like, everything just seems so much busier. You know, they've got friend spies now, and which, although not for long, and they've, <laughs> and the residentura is, is hopping, and the FBI is hopping, and the travel agency is hopping. Every, every, everything just seems more populated and more alive, which I don't know if that's just a change in direction. I noticed that Thomas Schlamm, uh, Tommy Schlammy. Yeah, to Tommy Schlammy, uh, of the, uh, of Sorkin stuff, uh, directed this and did a, a very nice job. Uh, but it just it feels like the the show is just better filled out in terms of its it's and it just it seems very sudden and maybe maybe it's because I've been rewatching season one lately but it just it felt like a very sudden shift in dynamic and suddenly there's all these new new sort of dynamics uh, sort of floating around like they're dealing with the Afghan situation for instance and there was just no mention of it before which is a little bit sudden but whatever it's a new season they're allowed to do that so I'll just pretend that there's no change in dynamic there but in terms of how to raise the stakes of your show this is like a textbook beautifully laid out case for how to do that i believe the sound that escaped me when you know they say page and henry was ah, ah, shit just got real <laughs> it was definitely a shit just got real moment page's head turned to show her with the with the face mask on yeah oh that was the that was the best part of the episode. It was so perfect in every way. Yeah, it was. Oh man, and and this is such a great way to make those kids more interesting and make them more relevant. To tie them in outside of just the 
they're kids and they're our main character's kids. This is all of a sudden this, they're in danger. They're in subtle, non-ending danger. And uh, to see how that plays out over the next few weeks will be fun for you because it was fun mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> yeah, to add and adding this mystery element, which I don't know how long they draw that out for. I don't know if that gets resolved at any point in the because you've seen what five episodes? Yes. I hate you. Um, <laughs> I don't. I kind. I maybe you find out who that is I'm or not. Stay spoiler free here. You're you're shaking your head, so you're not telling me. But um, I mean, they could draw that out all season if they want, or they can resolve it quickly. I'm very I'm intrigued as to how they're going to handle Beeman because I think they must know that it's just he's so clearly the Hank Schrader of the Americans, you know, the, the guy who's really smart and yet can't seem to quite figure out that the people he's looking for are right under his nose. I feel like they almost don't have a choice except to have him figure it out well before the ending. And then to play with that as a dynamic and then to add another layer of cat and mouse onto things. Um, which I, I, you know, am I, am I totally wrong here? I I feel like they, that that it's almost forced their hand. I think what they've uh, done with the Nina character that's very smart is they've given him very legitimate, uh, things going on to distract him, to make him not notice or to not piece together things that otherwise he, he might, if he was spending more time at home, he's more likely to, you know, be thinking about his neighbors then mm-hmm. when he's constantly, you know, working a full-time job at the CIA and then also, you know, has this, this stuff going on with Nina and running her and what else is going on, you know, and that part of his life as well. And trying to keep that a secret from his, you know, he's got a lot going on and yeah. that, that helps. And it's all very work-related. So when he's in his, in the home, he's thinking outside of that sphere. So I think that, mm-hmm. that helps believably not having piecings together. How long can that last? That's uh, a different conversation. The way that they use Nina slash Annette Mahendra in this, epi- in this episode is so smart. I loved her scenes this week. Uh, especially, you want to demonstrate that you have confidence in your actress? Have her diss Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and have good reasons to do so. Um, I feel like they are doing a great job sort of establishing that she's aware that her credibility is not so great, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just because she she is in this extremely familiar position to everyone where she's, you know, the the, you know, insanely beautiful younger lady who is sort of who has apparently maneuvered herself into this position of weakness just so just so she's not, you know, totally compromised. And yet but she's cognizant of that and is playing every angle at, at once or perhaps none of them. Or only a couple of them. Uh, I love that character so much. <laughs> what did you think of the the various sequences? And we got to talk about, you know, this is the Americans. So uh, one to five wigs for the episode. But also, what did you think of the wigs this week? I think they've really stepped up the costuming. Well, I mean, we've got wigs and accents now, which I don't <laughs> mean, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about Matthew Reese's fake Southern drawl, but I'm not sure the show needs us to think that it's good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so like whatever it needs to to fool some 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 uh you know some afghan crooks or, or assassins into thinking he's from texas so doesn't it necessarily need to be 100 percent the uh the wigs are fantastic the uh actually another thing that i wasn't expecting is i love the addition of oleg the uh the character in, in the residentura who is a little 
finally, I think, I think adds a little bit more levity to the show, which is hugely, hugely needed. Uh, I think that's a really important setting to start to sort of make a little more complicated because the, the you know, Nina's a, a great character, but other than that, I feel like the other characters there have always been a little bit lacking for depth. So I think that's a really smart move. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff that was great. I mean, just the, the style the, the almost Hannibal esque styling of the opening with, uh, with, uh, Carrie Russell and the deers in or the, whatever they were in the, in the woods, uh, was fantastic. And an, a nice bit of sort of almost surreality for them to throw in that they don't, that they don't usually do. I also like that we open with her addressing characters and we have no idea who they are. The people in the cabin at the opening, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Who are they? No idea. And, you know, I like that there are still secrets for us to discover at some point, that they're sort of seeding various allies that, you know, could come back. I like the shout out to Claudia, seeing as Margaret Martindale's busy being on the Millers. Uh, um, and and in Oscar nominated films, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, I, mean, I have less of a problem with that, obviously. Um, the uh, <laughs> What about the fun fair sequence? Which aspect? Because the whole thing was just too, just the constant carnival music going on in the background and the haunted house. And but obviously the the best detail. I mean, besides the face paint, that incredible beat of uh, Matthew Reese getting out of the hotel room and seeing the sun go by and just having to just keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was maybe if not the best gut punch they've done, pretty damn close. Very, yeah, very, damn, even just finding the bodies of the perform. I mean, obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, but for us, this is obvious. The performances from our central cast are all fantastic. And once again, Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell hit it out of the park. Their reaction to finding the bodies is mm-hmm. appropriately just devastated and, and shocked. And it's, I feel like it's hard to shock them because of who they are and what they've been doing uh, for, for their entire life. But I thought that that was very well very well handled and um then to to watch i don't think have we actually ever seen them be scared before on this level no i mean we we do have uh, we did have trust me in the first in the first season but no i don't think even on this level because when you're throwing in the kids that becomes a whole other thing but it hadn't even occurred to me but i also love the synchronicity of um matthew reese dropping three bodies at the beginning of the episode yep. and then having that sort of not quite karmically necessarily, but sort of to have that hit home for them in a new way. Well, and two people who are involved and a bystander. Yes. Two spies yeah, right. and the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not, it's not, it's in that weird level between subtle and obvious yeah. where if you think about it, you're like, oh, duh, but you may never think about it. It doesn't underline, it, it's not underlined. It's there. And when you realize, like when you said it, I was like, oh, of course, and, but it hadn't actually occurred to me until you said it uh, and then i feel like an idiot go. for not having seen it yeah exactly uh but it's not quite the madman level of you know hey it's it, there's toxic smoke outside the 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 atmosphere is toxic you know it's a little more subtle <laughs> than that yeah <laughs> uh let's see what else um do you want to talk about the 80sness at all music what did you think um I didn't really pick up on, on on musical stuff this week so much, except for Oleg's reference. But uh, I, I actually did, I actually liked the uh, the taping of movies in theaters thing. Mm-hmm. That was actually that it was a, just this side of too much, but it was actually cute, uh, and 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 it paid off with the with the repetition with the date. Uh, just uh, since I, since I only touched on it and uh, didn't elaborate, I I actually really love the addition of uh, throwing in the 
the Afghan Russian conflict as an extra wrinkle, and I hope they that it keeps coming up because that is uh, so so great for them to, to just keep adding layers of conflict that don't necessarily go in the directions we're used to seeing. So excellent. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was a pretty great premiere. How does it compare for you to season one, the season like the pilot, but also just where we left off? Does it feel like a return to form? Does it feel like it's even better? I feel like it could. It has the potential to be better because I, I it, in a way, it makes season one kind of feel like a long pilot, <laughs> like a really, mm-hmm. really, really long pilot of this is the universe, these are the dynamics, and now we're just gonna drop a bunch a bucket of blood on it and just watch everyone run around screaming <laughs> that's a delightful visual well uh, on that note how many wigs out of five for this week's episode oh five wigs five out of five it's a wigs. five wig episode it's a five, five out of five wigs if they can keep that up um <laughs> it's gonna be tough to beat Yep. Okay, well, I will stay mum on that, and we will talk about episode two next week. But uh, for now, a few show notes. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post-up at Sound On Site for this episode where you can leave comments and let us know what you thought of this week's TV. Let us know uh, how how uh, sappy I am for loving parenthood and how crazy uh, Simon is for not loving Hannibal as much as I did. Just liking it. Not loving it. What? Sir? Anyways. Can I say? <laughs> Uh, but you can uh, also email us the televers at gmail.com you can like us on facebook to follow what's going on on sound Insight tv you can also leave us a rating review on itunes we'd very much appreciate that of course we have an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed and you can le- you can follow us both on twitter i am at the televers and you are at sucker hell and simon what's our question of the week well since we've got this new proliferation of shows set in the 80s along with the americans which isn't new I'm wondering uh, if there's any sort of bits of sort of pop cultural detritus or history or just bits of obscurity you haven't seen referenced in in uh, in in TV shows. Because for a lot of us, the 80s is, you know, the period we were either born in or grew up in or at least are vaguely, uh, you know, knowledgeable of. And, you know, I feel like it's it's only just recently that it's become pop culture fodder, except for what Freaks and Geeks was maybe set in 1980. Yeah, that was said in 1980. Yeah, but that's sort of, that was sort of the exception for a long time, and I feel like that's sort of becoming more of, more of a thing. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious if there's anything that people aren't picking up on that you'd like to have thrown in there. Um, let me think. For me, I feel like a lot of the shows go to the same very familiar wells. I would appreciate a few more deep cuts. Um, both uh, for for movie for for music, but also even just for movies, because I feel like. Uh, each of these shows does a sort of um, like a like a Star Wars it's a Goonies episode. episode, a Goonies episode. Exactly. They don't go for the, you know, other choices. Like, I haven't seen anybody watch The Princess Bride on uh, an 80s set thing. And granted, that had nobody saw it in the theaters. Apparently, it gained popularity in the 90s when people like myself are watching it on VHS. But, you know, like some of those picks as opposed to, yes, we get it. Everybody loves Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But the second anyone ever makes a Miracle Mile reference, they'll have my heart. I don't care what show it is. <laughs> well, uh, that uh, wraps up our week in TV. So now we're going to take a break and come back with Kate Rennebaum from Sound on Sight talking about the BBC miniseries from last year, Parade's End. My name is Tijans. I'm Sylvia Satterthwaite. I know. 
Suppose you could belt with a new man every week and no questions asked. I don't even know if the child is mine. I wish you'd divorce her. I stand for monogamy. Monogamy and chastity. If you met someone you wanted to marry? Change nothing. You know what I want, I can't. You'd better keep off the grass. You're such a paragon of honorable behavior. You're the cruelest man I know. back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are happy to welcome back Kate Rennenbaum from Sound on Sight. Kate, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me back. Awesome. And this time we'll be talking about Parade's End, which is a five-part miniseries that aired on BBC uh, back in 2012. Kate, what made you want to talk about Parade's End? Uh, well, I've been super busy at school and like haven't really had time to kind of set out watching big, long new series. And I'd already seen Parade's End, I think, last year. And I just caught myself wanting to rewatch it. And I'm not going to lie, it probably has something to do with Benedict Cumberbatch, because I think he is very enjoyable to watch and like watching him and things. So that is probably part of it. But I actually really, I really liked it the first time I watched it. I was really surprised by how kind of interesting it was in very subtle ways. So that was that was sort of why I wanted to talk about it with you guys. Well, for those who don't know, often on the DVD shelf, usually the shows that we're talking about tend to be ones that are at least cult favorites, if not, you know, rather you know, memorable series. This is one that I know for me slipped under the radar and may have for some of our listeners. Uh, Kate, do you want to undertake a brief plot synopsis? What's, what is this about? Oh God! Uh, all right. Well, it's based on the novel by Ford, or sorry, the series of novels, the Tetralogy by um, Ford Maddox Ford, and it is set right before the First World War, so sort of the end of the Edwardian era in Britain. And the main character is Christopher Tegens, who is I don't know, supposed to embody many, many things, but basically we kind of follow him over the series of I think uh, I don't know, maybe five to six years, something like that. And he gets married early on to a woman who um, arguably sort of entraps him and then becomes pregnant, uh, who is very complex, and that is Rebecca Hall. And then he very quickly falls in love with another young woman who embodies all of the kind of ideal aspects of his life. And then this goes on for a series of years back and forth, this love triangle. And it's, it's, it's so British, uh, I say that it is incredibly <laughs> British. This I was watching this and I was skyping with Simon and I asked when did they start arranging matches because I'm pretty sure Sebastian's going to come in at some point here, just any second in this scene. <laughs> and for those who don't know, you should watch more Eddie Izzard to understand what I'm talking about. But it is, the, I think it's the most British thing I have ever seen. Uh, so if you just hear that plot synopsis and you hear the the cast you probably have an idea of what this is but what makes it stand out is really are the performances and some of these other subtler elements that i'm, I'm sure we'll get into 
to be honest, I, I didn't connect with this as much as I was hoping that I would be just because I feel like I've seen this story so many times. But that being said, as, as it went on, moved on, especially once we got into World War One and met some of, you know, watched some of the characters under a slightly different situation than just watching them not be able to talk to each other. Uh, I really did start <laughs> to connect a lot more with the characters. Simon, what was your relationship with the miniseries? Had you seen it? And uh, how did you connect with it? I had not seen it. I'd heard of it and had meant to get to it because uh, it also aired on HBO in Canada. Uh, luckily, my local library had it, which made it very easy to watch. The It's an incredibly uh, Midland library selection to have. With, that's a reference that absolutely no one in this audience will get. But anyway, um, you, know what, you know what I think is, is funny about this miniseries is the tagline. Did any of you notice what HBO's tagline for this is? No. Oh, God, no. The tagline is, the war changed everything. <laughs> Which is just categorically incorrect because in in this miniseries the war changes absolutely nothing. Which I think is actually one of the one of the strengths of it is I, I I like the way that it balances, you know, in in episodes three and four and a little bit of five, that's what that's when World War One gets covered. And the story does shift somewhat to be more of a war story and less of a love story, but I like the way that even though Tejans is going through these horrible things uh, it's clear that Valentine, played by um, Adelaide Clemens, who we know from Rectify, uh, aka not Carrie Mulligan and not Michelle Williams, um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> that sounds mean, but I do actually like her a lot. Um, I like the way that it, it makes clear that that situation is never far from his mind, even when he's in the trenches and just like in, you know, in the most horrible part of the most horrible war ever. Um, and there, there's there's a stubbornness to that that actually quite suits the character. And I, I don't know. I think that Kate, you mentioned we've or Kate, Mike, Kate, <laughs> Kate, uh, you mentioned that this is a story you've seen before, and maybe that's true. I mean, maybe I don't watch enough stiff upper lip British, you know, period dramas, and I've been missing out. But I think the characterization is is a little bit deeper than we're used to from stories like this. I, I think, for instance, Tejan's. I was watching an interview with Cumberbatch and he was saying that it was nice to be able to play a character that I could kind of look up to, that I could sort of aspire to be like, which is an interesting thing for him to say because uh, for a variety of reasons, but anyway, um, but, and that's sort of true. He is kind of a laudable character, but he's also, I like the way they do justice to the fact that as a person to know and be associated with, he would just be such a constant pain in the ass. And it doesn't necessarily excuse the stuff that Rebecca Hull's character, his wife, does. In fact, it doesn't at all, especially near the end. But throughout the entire miniseries, no matter how uh, horrible she was acting, I always felt like I knew exactly where she was coming from. Well, yeah, the one thing I was going to add as well is that part of the reason why I kind of stuck with it, like after watching the first sort of two episodes was, I think I had, like you, Kate, a lot of concern that it was just sort of going to be another like love triangle thing, everyone, no one talks to each other. Oh my God, the pain of being British. It's so terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no matter how much we brush, we brush. They're always just dirty. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I was, I was expecting that to be the case. I think the thing that early on kept me really interested in it was um, Rebecca's Hall, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, Sylvia Satterthwaite, which is like such a great name. It's hilarious. But the, the thing I enjoyed about it is that the, the show and the adaptation doesn't, it gives sort of equal weight to her side of things. And it takes a little while for that to develop. I feel like you don't, in the, in the early episodes, um, 
One thing I will say that I wasn't crazy about is that I feel like you get a very choppy start to some of these things. Like you feel like you're sort of dealing with a lot of stuff in medias res and you, it actually makes a lot more sense the second time you watch the show. Uh, so I would recommend that for people who are, who liked it. It does benefit quite a bit from the second viewing, but um, anyway, I, I, Rebecca Hall's character is so on the one hand, sort of, you know, awful and terrible, but at the same time, the show is so clearly as in love with her as uh, you know, uh, the Tijin's character might have been on first meeting her. Like she is so charming and, and I don't know. I, I just really, I found it refreshing to sort of see her kind of side of things give an equal weight with the, with the Tijin side of things. I like that a lot. Well, I don't know about you guys. It's a wonderful performance from Rebecca Hall. I do hate the character. I, I just hate her. <laughs> by the end. But it's a wonderful performance because you are really, you're with her for much of the story. And I, I don't know the the source material at all. So I don't know how much of this is just what the adaptation was presented. That you know, oh, That's who I'm this sorry. character is. You haven't read a tetralogy of British novels from 1919? <laughs> for no. shame. No, I have read more than that of other British series, but they tend to have wizards in them. Uh, so no, I haven't read this one. But uh, but by the end, I I, lose, I I absolutely agree that when we start out, we really get her perspective as well. I love that. Uh, I mean, I think I, I felt like there was a sense of humor to the like. It's almost the opening scene, and there's already a, some bodice ripping. As like, okay, they they understand what you know what they're going for, what the tone is, but then. As we as you progress on, you, you really do get a sense of her position, the way she starts out, and I I enjoy her early struggles with things. But at a certain point, she just kind of becomes terrible, and there, you can only say, "Why didn't you just treat me like crap?" Because then our marriage would have succeeded. You can only say that a couple times before I'm really gonna <laughs> just disconnect from you as a person, as a character that I'm supposed to, you know, be invested with. Uh, and so I think especially as you get into episode four, and particularly episode five, as much as I do really enjoy that performance from Re Rebecca Hall, it's a tricky character. The 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 show does just sort of end with her. She just, it just sort of sort of drops her. And that that's realistic. It's true to a character. It's not like she's going to become somebody new all of a sudden just because it's the end of the miniseries. But I did think there were some I did have some problems with that character, regardless of Hall's performance. But I, I think what I found interesting about the character, besides the fact that it, it's a great performance, I love Rebecca Hall. She's always good, and she doesn't get enough good work to do. Um, I'm amazed no one's ever cast her as Scarlett Johansson's bitchy older sibling. But anyway, <laughs> um, the I think what I find so interesting about the character is there are times, especially in that in the middle part of the miniseries, where it seems like she's earnestly trying to be a good person. Mm -hmm. at least a little bit and you know it's not easy for her because it just doesn't come naturally um but you or, or maybe it does and she's sort of withholding i mean that's really up to the interpretation and it, th those layers are in her performance but i like that she's never up until maybe the very end uh that especially in the last episode certain things that she does she's never quite the villain and and you do get the sense of yeah it does get a little bit tiresome her just being like just be an asshole and i'll like you um, but you, I think they do a, a really good job making it clear that living with Tijans would not be, uh, especially for someone of, of her background and sort of, and her sort of level of connivingness is, it's just so clearly a terrible match for all involved and just a terrible situation to be in. And that's not only on, on her. 
Well, but this is what I liked about it so much was that she is so clearly in love with him. Like that, that is what I like about it is that she is, they are, I actually found them a great match. Like this is what I mean when I say that they are given kind of equal weight is that she is in her own way, very protective of Tijin's and very um, loving to him. It just isn't in the register that makes any sense to him. Like this is what is so, what I found so fascinating was that she comes from this sort of strict Catholic background where everything, every kind of, sign of affection or sort of sign of pleasure or fun has to be going against some rule. And he completely cannot understand this. And so there is, I, again, I just think that it, it maybe benefits from seeing it a second time because you, when you start watching it the second time, you realize that at that point when she's sitting in the room with him and he's correcting the Encyclopedia Britannica, they've been <laughs> married for, they've been married for something like, I don't know, four or five years. And the implication is, is that he's never slept with her again after that first time on the train. Like he won't even touch her. And it's, and, but it's, it's done so kind of subtly and in the background that you don't realize it. And that's what, what I find interesting, Simon, is when she's trying so hard to be good, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- I just think she's a fascinating character. It's so rare to see a female character who is, who is that doing things that are not so respectable, but, but we still are kind of, I'm almost rooting for her half the time. Like when you're with mm-hmm. her, I want her to get teaches. Like I want him to pay some attention to her as much as you actually still want him to end up with the other woman. Right. So anyway, that's, that's what I found interesting about it. Well, and also I think it's very telling that we meet her mother and we don't really get a sense of who she is from her mother, but I think we get a sense of sort of how she is the way that she is through her absent father the fact that we don't meet her Mm. father and because when you look at her mother you're like how did she turn out in this why is she acting this way and then when when you think about it you realize wait a second we've never met her father and there's clearly some sort of you know daddy issues or withholding situation going on with this character and i absolutely agree that i i am rooting for her when she you know decides that she's going to try to be uh a a good supportive wife or whatever she's, you know, society says she's supposed to be. I love that. First of all, she does it. She decides she's going to do it for herself. And she said Mm -hmm. that that's what she, that's what she's wants to do. That's who she's going to be now. And she hopes that that will help repair her marriage because she's tried acting out and that hasn't worked. So she's now she'll (laughs) try being good and see if that works. But then, then I I feel like the, the shift into, into when she decides, Oh, just fuck it. Which happens somewhere in episode four and five. That that shift is where they lost me because I didn't see. And maybe because they're adapting four books, uh, so you know it's hard to. They have so much material, I'm sure, that you can't really show all of it. But that's the part of it that I was missing. As I understand it, they mostly just adapted, and this is it's been adapted twice, and in both cases they mostly don't include the fourth book, which uh, no apparently nobody likes a, and it's like the. Uh, it's like the last, how do I want, it, it's like the mostly harmless of the oh, Parade okay. Zen books. Uh, and apparently Tijin's is barely in it, which I find very confusing. Uh, so yeah, apparently none of that gets used or very little of that gets used. But I, I would say that the, everything you guys have said about uh, the Rebecca Hall characters is on the money. The other love interest played by Adelaide Clemens, Valentine, I feel like sh- she's charming and they have you know great chemistry and, and a few scenes that they probably milk too much. But I don't think that her solo material or the, the material that they have with her when she becomes a teacher or whatever is as compelling as the stuff we get with just Rebecca Hall and her mother or with the general. Yeah, yeah. not even close. But I do think it's a great, a very strong performance from Adelaide Clemens, who, I mean, imagine if we had seen this before we saw Rectify, we would have been looking forward to Rectify even more <laughs> than we than we were when we uh, when we watched that pilot. But uh 
it's a very strong performance from Adelaide Clemens. And the, the scenes that she does, where she does get something to do, I, I was very, uh, very impressed with her and, and very engaged with that character. I loved her discussion of when she finds the racy book in her mm-hmm. the locker room. I thought that was wonderful. And watching her disillusionment with her friend and, uh, you know, the, the, the one married to the crazy priest, you know, watching that really was interesting. The, the whole almost kiss in the fog was just terrible. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was like right yeah, up there but- with the blatant bodice ripping in the beginning. The whole fog sequence is a little bit much and it's worse because they keep flashing back to it. And it just reminds you, Oh, I just, that was a little much. But um, I will say that between the the suffragette scenes here and the subplot, the very way too brief subplot we got in this last season of American Horror Story, I'm ready for someone to do a suffragette series. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes. Yes, well, it would. I think that that's, that's what's so great about the show is that it is like of all of the of all of the first sort of famous th- um, books or movies or whatever you want to say that, that talk that deal with World War One. There are, this is one of the first ones I've ever encountered, and I think it's famous for being one of the only ones that deals with it from the home front, that, that deals with the question of what was going on in Britain at the time of the World War. It was not, it was not just everyone going off to the trenches. There was so much happening, like in, in the, at home that was, that was of like radical importance, which is why it's so interesting that you get Sylvia put against the suffragette as the two kind of poles and that, uh, Valentine, Valentine Wanup is supposed to be the, the kind of forward-looking attitude of young women, like women going off to work and and kind of taking charge, and um, it's I I find that fascinating. Like I find that great, and I also the things that are also in the background of this book, like the rising obsession with um, statistics and the like, rising kind of development of a new kind of bureaucracy. I find those things fascinating. Like maybe nobody, maybe everyone's like is totally bored <laughs> of their mind, but I was like. I was like, that is so interesting. Like this kind of idea that you have just developed a department of statistics to manage numbers. Like, I, I mean, I think that that's great. And it, and it's, for me, this is what, this is where the charm of this was, was that it was just paying attention to the more unusual elements of, of this time period that you don't normally see talked about. So that, that was what I liked a lot. Well, speaking of unusual, my favorite bit of characterization with Valentine and we should. This is a good time to note, by the way, that the, adap- the adaptation was written by Tom Stoppard, who is kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, among he's many other good. things. <laughs> among many other things, he wrote one of my favorite movies ever, which is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. But anyway, um, I thought you were going to say uh, Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't remind me. Anyway, um, I'm sure Kate loves that. But anyway, uh, I like Shakespeare. There you go. I'm alone. But <laughs> I don't mind the, it. Um, uh, my favorite bit of characterization with her is when she's. Uh, I forget who she's talking to, but she's talking about essentially the birds and the bees. And she's reading that book that was already mentioned. And she didn't get previous to that, even though she's, you know, this, this supposedly forward thinking, liberal minded, uh, you know, liberated woman. She doesn't get that you that it's possible to have sex without reproduction. Mm-hmm. And like that, I don't know if that's in the book or not, but I thought that was a, a neat little touch. It, well, it's great. It's when the it's when the other woman, um, Mrs. Dushamans, when she when she has become pregnant by the friend of Tijans and she's oh, telling right, her about yeah. it. I thought that was I thought that was a fantastic moment. Like when she she breaks down crying and she says, "I'm sorry, I'm so useless." Like the uh, Adelaide Clemens character. I, I I thought that was. I think you're right, Simon. That was like a great moment that you're sort of. She's so kind of 
out in the world and doing all these things. And all of a sudden, when she realizes how little knowledge she has of this domestic sphere, this sort of like, quote unquote, women's knowledge, I thought that was great. I really liked yeah. that a lot. Well, and it, and it adds a lot to the character, because otherwise, I think without that scene, she's much more two dimensional. She's just sort of she's sort of the especially in comparison to Rebecca Hall. I think she would just be too boringly two dimensional and sort of the the, the goody two shoes of the group, so to speak. I love it when uh, what's her name? calls her Miss Hockey Sticks. Like, Sylvia has some great <laughs> Miss Hockey Sticks. And she says at one point she's like a, a girl guide, that scrub-faced patron of the lady hockey sticks or something. It's amazing. There's some great names that she gets called. I also love the uh, the the imaginary child that mm-hmm. uh, Tijans and Valentine create has an, has an arc all its own. <laughs> like, by, by the midway point, the child is five. Well, and I just yeah. love all of the yeah all the the periphery characters who have built up this elaborate uh, sexual life of Tijin, where he where he's sharing Miss Miss Dushman's with his friend and has a baby <laughs> by Valentine and this whole it's like wow you guys really have built up like do you know this guy at all because if you knew him even a little bit you would know there's no way. And when you're talking about these periphery characters, uh, the one that I I've got to mention because I think for when he for me when he enters the mini series, all of a sudden I'm way more interested, and I was laughing my butt off. And that's Roger Allen as the general, because mm-hmm. it's a, just amazing. It's a wonderful performance, and it's just just the shot in the arm that this needs. But there's great performances from Rufus Sewell as as the Reverend. I really enjoyed uh, even just um, Rupert Everett as Tejan's brother, and all of these. You know, Tom Meissen is so much fun as Potty. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really and unrecognizable cast. also if you know him from uh, from Sleepy Hollow He's as everyone totally does. Recognizable. I didn't recognize him, um, and uh, although apparently you didn't recognize Roger Allen, who is totally recognizable from the thick of it, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I think he sort of disappears late, late uh, in the last couple episodes, which is weird, but I really like Stephen Graham as well. Who is he again? He's uh, his, his statistician. Yeah, McMaster is his statistician buddy. There we go. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, like, the whole, the cast is all, uh, I really liked them. The only thing I was a little weird about with the cast was... Um, uh, what's his name? The brother Rupert Everett. It looks like they have him making wearing kind of old person makeup that looks a little awkward and weird or something. I couldn't tell what was going on there. That was one of the few things that kept sort of pulling me out of it every mm-hmm. time I saw him. But um, and the sound mix. Actually, that's just something to mention. Apparently, when this first uh, played on television, there was a lot of complaints about the sound mix. In the first two episodes, it can be kind of difficult to understand what people are saying. So I don't know if other people notice that or not. But it, it I had to turn the subtitles on, actually. So, yeah, I did notice that. Um, yeah. Janet Mateer and uh, Miranda Richardson also in there and typically great. Uh, but, you know, it's oh, funny. Yeah. We've, we've barely touched on Absolutely. the fact. I was, I was going to add as well, uh, Kate, when you were talking about the, the gossip uh, about how sort of inexplicable it is that everyone's so crazy and inventing these insane stories about uh, – Tajans. That was the other, that's evidence of the other really fascinating thing that I liked about this movie, or sorry, this show so much. And it kept kind of surprising me with it. I kept thinking I knew what was going to happen. And then the show would sort of totally turn it around, which is that it is, um, what's his name? Uh, Ford Maddox Ford. He was writing this book in the 1920s. So he was only writing it about 10 years after it was uh, set. And it is so like clear eyed and even handed in terms of its feeling about the um, disappearance of the Edwardian like class and the Edwardian time. It is, it is like merciless in terms of ripping apart these grand ideals of sort of British society. I mean, even 
even Tejans, who is supposed to be kind of everything wonderful about it, is is quite rightly critiqued by um, Valentine early on as saying you were very backward looking, you were very past looking, and you won't raise a finger, and you don't like change, and you don't want new things to happen. And and he is still absolutely the kind of best thing that is happening, right? He is he is kind, and he is loyal, and he is true, and he's right, and all these things. And it doesn't matter what everyone says; he's going to do the right thing. But he's also like stodgy and kind of a shithead, and just like stubborn <laughs> in a way that he doesn't he doesn't have to be, right? And so I, I loved I loved the whole thing about the uh, the tree. This perpetual fight that he's having with Sylvia about keeping the tree in front of um, their house that I forget the name of Groby the tree in front of Groby and at the end you're when it finally gets cut down Sylvia cuts it down when she's just being mean and you you get this moment where he picks up the logs from Groby and I was sort of expecting I was like oh you know there's going to be some kind of thing where he's going to have these logs up in the house and it's going to be important and then the last scene of the the show he just he just pitches it in the fire and he says we're cold. I, I just things like that that I, I just I loved. It was never it was never evenly on one side or the other about the end of the Edwardian era. And that was one thing that I really liked. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's as good a segue as I need to talk about Cumberbatch, which we've somehow not done. <laughs> but, but before we do that, one thing I will say is is when she cut down the tree is when Sylvia lost me. I will say it's like the tree is hundreds of years old. It is still living and you cut it down. Bitch. Just to be a bitch. <laughs> Just to be a bitch. So I think that's when she lost me, and it's played wonderfully. It's very fitting. But can I ask you, actually, Kate? Because I didn't, I didn't catch this so much the first time I watched it. it. Wasn't until the second time I watched it that this made a little more sense to me. That that the whole thing about her cutting down the tree was actually part of a another plot to get him out there so she could start faking that illness. Like when she mm-hmm. claims that she has cancer in the last sequence, the whole the whole tree thing is simply like part of this. And that that kind of went by me. It was so rapid yeah. in the end there where she's pulling out all the stops. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. But uh, we, we should uh, actually talk about, you know, the, the man that we've been discussing this whole time, Christopher Tejans, played of course by Benedict Cumberbatch, the batch. And I mean, it is, <laughs> It's an interesting thing, and we've already touched on it, and I'm sure, Simon and Kate, you'll both have plenty to say about this character, because he is so much this ideal, we're supposed to really admire him, but just as we've all said, he would be terrible to live with, and he's the ideal of the Edwardian gentleman, except that he cares so much more about his priorities and his uh, his upbringing and what he considers to be proper than he does about his wife or his son. I mean, his, he sends his son away from his, the, their house so that he can be raised Anglican the way that Tejans was rather than, I don't know, ever see his parents. And so I do actually agree with what we've kind of touched on. And I think it's a really fascinating character that he's both, you know, the show presents him, miniseries presents him as this upright, just incredibly just brilliant and correct kind of person. But if, as soon as you actually start thinking about it, he's, pretty much kind of a dick <laughs> well I, that's a bit strong but i think yeah that, i don't know if i would call him a dick <laughs> but it, it's not so much i mean i think i think of him as a person who is betrayed by his own goodness you know in the, in the sense that he he's been raised a certain way and according to that rubric he is an impeccable human and he he's clearly you know he clearly is stronger of character than almost everyone around him but I think he comes to realize at a certain point, especially near the end, that he, he that he can't be impervious to change, that he that he has to grow with the times. And so I think that's the best testament to his character that he that he does that he realizes that he has to uh, that that he does have to change. I mean, that realization comes way too late 
for poor Sylvia. <laughs> but, um, but I think that that's the, that's the ultimate testament to his character being a good person that he is able to, to, to make that, to make that shift. And I mean, and then, then of course you get into territory of, would it have been better for him to just go off and have a, a proper affair with Valentine, which he does sort of try to do, but in a really half-assed way. Um, and that's when you get to some other interesting questions. Yeah. The thing about the son too is really fascinating. Cause like, the show, again, in a way that I feel like if you read the book, I mean, I like for people who haven't read the book, I think the book is all written from Tijin's first person like point of view. Like it, it all kind of deals with his sort of stream of consciousness um, kind of effect. And so I assume that there is a lot that you get in the book that we lose here when it's translated more to dialogue into these kind of straightforward narrative sequences. But um, the thing about the sun is fascinating. Like all of this commentary early on about how Tijin's is too soft with the sun like i don't know if i don't know if you guys noticed that but there's there's well, a lot and the, of, and the teaches him himself is too soft exactly right that he's almost he's almost put like he's almost kind of treated like a like a woman a little bit that he's too he's too nice people he's too like warm and, and anyway I, I thought that was interesting so it's almost like when he sends the sun away it's him sort of doing it against what he would actually want. It's like him acquiescing to what everyone says, which is that the sun should be raised kind of a certain way away from him. And I, I don't know. I, anyway, that was it. But I, go ahead, Kate. Well, I just think uh, when I think of that Tijin's character, I do the thing that I keep coming back to as I guess what I would call his fatal flaw for most of the story is pride. He is a very prideful person, but not in the, but in, in a more positive way I, I, than we normally see when the fatal flaw, flaw is pride. Usually people tend to be boasting and he's not that, but because he is so caught up in these notions of what is proper and what, you know, what his name means, for example, and we start to see the shift of that right before he goes to the war, he would rather, be of less use to the country and to the war effort in the trenches than actually use his mind because he can't deal with morally his pride. He can't handle what the, the terrible things they're trying to manipulate him into doing to justify these various, you know, things with the statistics. So even though he would be of more use to the war effort at home because he's, he's brilliant, he, he, can't get past that so he goes and fights in the trenches and there's there's it's an interesting portrayal because that is mm -hmm. not usually how we see that flaw yeah he he's proud in a very self-negating kind of way which i can definitely identify with and that's part of the reason i liked him so much and i have to say that this series created one of the very few moments of of mind melding with my dad because i was watching this with, with my parents and there's a scene where i think Cumberbatch is trying to hold off a smile in a scene with his son. I think that's what it is. And then Cumberbatch does this thing with his mouth where it goes totally flat and sort of severs his chin from the rest of his head. <laughs> and my my dad and I almost at this at the exact same time said out loud, look at that face. <laughs> just look at that guy's face. It really is just one for the ages. Well, you know what they I didn't realize this. I was reading about the reading about it when I was watching it the second time. The um apparently for uh Benedict Carvash in this, they put like cheek stuffers in his mouth to make him look kind of saggier and fatter than he is. What? Because he's supposed yes, because he's supposed to be kind of like a sad sack kind of round in the tummy kind of guy like that this is what i was reading and i was like what he, he didn't doesn't pull that off that at, way all. at all yeah exactly <laughs> i was like when i was watching it the first time i mean i have to admit i was kind of impressed by how sort of like just 
destroyed they make him look in the later episodes after he's come back from war and how sort of horrible he looks like just run down but he still fucking looks like benedict Cumberbatch. like you can stuff his cheeks all you want he does look like a sad, sad guy <laughs> yeah they they did a really good job with the with the makeup after the fact he did i did think that I like that he visually, I mean, he still looks like Benedict Cumberbatch, but he did look changed. He looked older. And I liked the, the edge of hysteria that is in a lot of the, the voice of the soldiers when, you know, when, when with the stuff with the sonnet and a lot of the interactions mm-hmm. in the, in the trench, uh, in the trenches, or just in that, in that whole sequence after they've been around, you know, for a while, once we're getting towards the end of that, there's, I think there's a lot to really appreciate in, in this miniseries, even if it is, like I said, the most British thing mm-hmm. I have ever seen. Uh, do we have any other elements that we want to make sure to discuss? There's some interesting cinematography, some interesting uh, choices with uh, some of the visuals. I mean, I don't know really how much those add to it. Like, there's this um, this this sort of prism effect that happens at the beginning of every episode and, and sort of partway through certain episodes, which... Is kind of neat, but by the end of it, I was kind of tired of it. I mean, all I really wanted to mention is a, I find I found Cumberbatch way more interesting to watch here than I do on Sherlock, and I think that's mostly a function of the writing, but um, that's all. I think it's also just a more interesting character. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was like honestly, if Stoppard wanted to write more for that character and just like the further adventures of Tejans and Valentine, like up until World War II, I would totally watch it. Because at that point, you'd, you'd, you'd dispense with the stuff that we're already familiar with and then go to new territory. I think I would be fascinated to watch that. I, I'll take the further adventures of Sylvia. Sylvia and the general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you, did you guys catch this? I mean, because I don't know how, I don't think it's possible if you, if you haven't sat through it twice, but the, one of the first lines that you get about uh, Sylvia when uh, Cumberbatch is talking to his brother in the carriage on the way to the wedding, uh, the brother is sort of saying kind of terrible things about Sylvia mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, and Tijan says something like, well, yes, she probably shouldn't be married to me. I mean, she she probably should be like the consort to the Viceroy of India. Yes. Which is what happens. And I was like, yeah. holy, like, like there's really, there's clearly some kind of, the, it is plotted and kind of thought out in a way that is, it is very subtle, but it is there. And I, I found that kind of really gratifying watching it the second time. The other aspect or the other scenes, I guess I should say that I wanted to particularly mention that I, I just loved was everything with Sylvia at at the war front, just driving yeah. everyone insane because she can and because she's determined to see her husband. And I just, I just, I mean, because that, that's the part of that character that I really got the most enjoyment out of watching as opposed to just her being interesting or her being, you know, being a good performance. I was just sort of cackling with enjoyment watching this incredibly uh, strong willed and determined and, uh, and, persuasive i guess i should say character finding a way to make her will manifest at the front she's almost like the younger more interesting dowager countess yes that's interesting i will ponder that i will ponder that well do we have any other thoughts on parade's end i no, i I just think it's probably it's definitely one of benedict Cumberbatch's like most interesting performances and he's He's so different here than he is. I mean, I just, he's, I, yeah, I think he's great. And I also think, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're spoiling things. Are, are we allowed to kind of talk about the ending or? Spoiler alert. You have been warned. Spoiler- <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've spoiled everything already, but go for but it. But go for it. Have we, I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've, well, maybe we did. I can't remember. I don't know if we actually said that they end up together. But mostly I was just going to say, it's actually like, 
the thing that the other thing I kind of liked about this was that it was sort of unabashedly kind of um very much like for a female audience, at least in a weird way. Like it is very much just um like yes, Benedict Cumberbatch and this young woman, they're gonna get together and they're gonna make out at the end and it's gonna be awesome. And like in a in a in a way that where where films right now are so kind of I don't know, chased about a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I actually found the concept of just sort of a, a very satisfying romance to be quite refreshing, like on television. I quite like that. <laughs> well, and to, to extend that point a little bit, I, I did notice that one of the few scenes with nudity, which involves um, an ostensible sex scene between Tejans and Valentine, is actually from her perspective, which I was not expecting. Yes. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a dream. She's sort of it's fantasizing. A fantasy, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's definitely uh, been a, a, a fun miniseries, and it's one of those ones that they're so easy to, to slip through the cracks. So if any of this stuff sounds interesting, for people who are watching Downton Abbey right now, why are you watching yeah. Downton Abbey? This is Abbey definitely better. When you definitely be better than that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. Thank you, Kate, so much for coming on again. Uh, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, well, usually I am over at Sound on Sight sometimes com uh, contributing to podcasts. And I have been told by Simon that we are going to be doing another uh, Keanu Reeves one in the near future, which is fantastic. Oh, and I just had to add as a brief side note, one of the reasons why Adelaide Clemens, I don't mind her, but I kind of am going to have a grudge against her forever because now she's gotten to make out with both Benedict Cumberbatch and Keanu Reeves, which makes me jealous of her forever <laughs> but anyway um so yes that's where you people can find me is usually over at sound on site every once in a while well thank you again kate so much for coming on thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode of the television <laughs>